we'll all find our place and be champions on God's dream team. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, did you, uh, how many wore their sports jersey today or some kind of, okay, good, good. If you're visiting, you're probably wondering, well, what do you mean by sports jersey? Pastor Terry, why do you have your Mizzou shirt on? Well, we're doing a series on uh, finding your place on God's dream team. And uh, we're using uh, this book by a friend of mine named Tony Cook. And it's uh, essentially about finding your place on God's dream team. And they're going to put up on the, uh, on the screen there an acoustic, acoustic, acrostic. There's a difference between trying to type this thing in here to get my notes up. What's that? It's an acrostic, not an acoustic, an acrostic. Champions. And each letter in the word champions stands for a characteristic that you should have if you're going to be a champion. C would be composure. H, humility. A, authenticity, M, motivation, P, persistence. And that's where we left off last week with persistence. And then we have I, interdependence, O, obscurity, N, nobility, and S, strategy. And if you want to be a champion on God's team, on his dream team, you really need to have each of these characteristics in your life. Now, I don't have the time to go through and review this morning, so we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And we're going to say some things. We already said some things, but conclude some things on persistence. And what I wanted to tell you about today on persistence is, and you know what persistence means. It it means to uh, keep on keeping on. Stick-to-itiveness. Sticking with it. Uh, Somebody that makes a New Year's resolution to change their diet and lose weight. If they quit on that by the end of January, if they do that, you know, make that commitment early January and they they quit on that by the end of January, that's not a persistent person. A persistent person is somebody that's going to make a New Year's resolution and then stick to it all the way through, you see, and just keep on keeping on. And uh, but what I wanted to say to you today is that it's important that we be persistent In all areas, but particularly in the mundane and the routine, in the mundane and the routine, in the mundane and the routine. Uh, Do you ever find life to be mundane? Just routine, just the same, the sun goes up, we do this, we do that, we do the other, and then the sun goes down. And then we get up the next day and we go through the same thing. You know, sun comes up, we do this, we do that, we do the other, sun goes down, then we do the same thing the next. Has anybody ever had to deal with that besides me and it can just get as boring as all get out? Have you ever felt like at work you've been assigned a, a mundane task? Or in your marriage it, it seems to be mundane. I keep, uh, you know, I, I keep cooking for this guy. If you're a lady, I keep cooking for this guy. I keep cooking for this guy. I keep cleaning. And, or the, the husband might say, you know, I, you know, I keep cutting the grass and the same old, same old or whatever the case. Has anybody ever run into that and you just get bored with life and you get bored with your assignment and it just, it just seems so simple and so mundane and so futile? I mean, I think we all deal with that. 
I know I've dealt with it or, you know, the assignment that God gives us in ministry or the assignment that he gives you in the church as you serve in the helps ministry. You know, it just so can get so boring and so mundane. But, you know, in the midst of that is when we really need to turn it up a notch and really be persistent and have stick to itiveness. I want to read something to you because we've been reading uh, from from this book some uh, and this, if you if you got the book, if you have the book, if you purchase the book or whatever, it's on page 112. And just listen to this. Richard J. Foster said the discovery of God lies in the daily and the ordinary, not in the spectacular and the heroic. If we cannot find God in the routines of home and work then we will not find him at all. God is just as interested in the high points in our lives as he is in the valleys of our lives. Don't let impatience and a lack of contentment with where you are cause you to think that you're missing it. The grass isn't greener on the other side. That's what the devil will always come in and try to get us to think that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And wouldn't it be nice if I had that position? And wouldn't it be nice if I had that assignment? Wouldn't it be nice if I, if I had, 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 had that going on in my life? And wouldn't it be nice if I was like so-and-so? Wouldn't it be nice if I had that, what they have? And you find out. Because I've, I've learned this by experience, because in my life there's been times where I've said, you know, my life is so boring and, and, and my assignment in ministry is so boring and I just wish that I had so-and-so's assignment. And then I get to talk to so-and-so. And after I talk to so-and-so, I find out I wouldn't trade with so-and-so. Wouldn't trade with them. No, sir. Not, uh-uh. I mean, what they're doing looks more glamorous, certainly. To the, to the world as the world would look at it. But you know what? I don't have near the headaches that they have to deal with. I don't have near the problems that they have to deal with. I don't have to have security following me all over the place because somebody's trying to kill me. Huh? I don't have to have security around my house with guns and things. Because I've said some things on television that people don't like. I mean, you think the other guy always has it better and, 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 and better than you. But what's the old saying? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. But then when you jump the fence and you get over there, guess what? You have to cut that grass too, don't you? I've watched this with Christians over the years as it pertains to where they go to church. And a lot of times they'll, you know... As if you attend a church any length of time, it can become, as a church member, it can become routine, mundane. Oh, but, you know, it's really happening over at such and such church. And then I've watched people over the years, they'll, 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 they'll leave and they'll go to such and such church. And for a while, it's just a wonderful honeymoon. But guess what? When you get over there, after a while, it's going to become routine and mundane also. Is that right? Surely it is. Surely it is. And, uh, and so we have to... I mean, this really spoke volumes to me. If we cannot find God in the routines of home and work, then we'll not find him at all. You see, you've got to be able to find God in your everyday life. Not just in the high points or the high peaks 
you know, he's as much with you in the valleys as he is on the mountaintops. But you're going to have to find God in the routine of your everyday life and, and be persistent. When you feel bored and you feel like, you know, this is just the same old, same old, that's when you got to turn it up a notch and just say, I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to be a champion on God's team. And one of the characteristics is persistence. Look at Luke 11, verse 5 in the Amplified. Luke 11, verse 5 in the Amplified. Luke 11, verse 5 in the Amplified. He said to them, Jesus said to them, this is Luke 11, verse 5 in the Amplified. He said to them, which of you, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and will say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine who is on a journey has just come and I have nothing to put before him. And he from within will answer, do not disturb me. The door is now closed and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and supply you with anything. Verse 8. I tell you, although he will not get up and supply him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his shameless persistence. Realize, say shameless persistence. Because of his shameless persistence and insistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and keep on asking. See, that's persistence. The Amplified brings this out, that when you ask God for something, right here he says, ask and keep on asking, and it shall be given you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking, and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks and keeps on asking receives. He who seeks and keeps on seeking finds, and to him who knocks and keeps on knocking, the door shall be open. Persistence is somebody that, see, okay, but that's persistence, isn't it? And that's going to get an answer. The kind of person that I used to be years ago, and we're not talking about being obnoxious, we're talking about being persistent. But I'd go up to somebody's door. Well, they didn't answer, let's go. That's the kind of person I was, bashful, shy. And I'd go up to somebody's door, there was a doorbell. I wouldn't ring the doorbell, guess what I'd do? I'd go. Well, they're not home. Let's go. No, you got to be persistent. Okay, if you want to, if you want to get anywhere with God, you're going to need to be persistent. Now, let's talk about the next letter on uh, in the word champions, and it's I. Interdependence. Interdependence. What does interdependence mean? If you want to be a champion on God's team, you're going to have to be interdependent. Interdependence means being dependent upon other members of the team. Being dependent on other members of the team. Now, somebody who would not be interdependent would be, uh, let's take, for example, in baseball. Does anybody know what a triple play is? It's when you get three outs all at once. Is that correct? 
And think about it, a triple play probably not can happen many different ways, but one way it could happen is you could have a runner on, uh, for example, first and second. Is that right? And then the ball is hit to the third baseman. So the third baseman would then uh, throw the ball. Let's see. One, two. Now we'd have to have somebody on. Uh, you'd have to have all three bases covered, wouldn't you? Two bases. Okay. 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 You're helping me with this. All right. I'm a golfer. I used to be a baseball player, but played golf more. So, so the third baseman would step on third, right? Then throw it to second, then throw it to first, and now we have a what? Triple play. So the third baseman that would feel the ball, step on throw, third, throw it to second, then throw it to first, you know, the, the third baseman, the second baseman, first baseman are interdependent. They're depending on one another to do a certain job. But let's just imagine the third baseman does not have this quality of interdependence. So the ball is hit to him. He steps on third, but then guess what he does if he's not interdependent? He's going to take off running to second base because he's got to do it all himself. So he's going to step on second. And then what does he do? He runs over to first and he's got to step on first. Is he going to make the triple play? No. He'll get one out, but he won't get the other two. And so that's a good example, I think, of someone who is not interdependent. And if you're going to be a champion on God's team, you're going to have to be interdependent. We're going to have to depend on one another. We're going to have to count on one another. And so you need to be the kind of person that can be counted on. But you also have to be the kind of person that will count on somebody else. You know, if you're in the armed services, you're going to have to put your life in the hands of somebody else. Is that right? And and you're going to have to be able to count on them and they're going to have to be able to count on you. So you see, be somebody that can be counted on. Be somebody that can be counted on. But then also there's the other side of that. You have to you have to get yourself to a point where you will trust other people and you will count on them. And, you know, that can be. That can be difficult because it can certainly be difficult if you have the attitude that nobody can do the job as well as you can. This is something I've had to struggle with over the years and have had to work through because I've had the mentality that nobody can do the job as well as me. So I have to double check on everything. And my wife will tell you I'm a, I'm a double checker and she'll lock the door and then. You know, like at nighttime, she'll go through and you know, lock the doors or whatever. And then guess what I'll have to do? I'll have to go behind her and double check everything. Now, I still haven't got over that totally, have I? But but I'm 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 better at it, you see. And so if you if you're going to be inter- interdependent, if you're going to have this quality, you're going to have to be somebody that can be counted on. But then you're also going to have to be willing to count on someone else. Now, here's some characteristics of People who lack the quality of interdependence. If you lack this quality, sometimes you can tell what something is by finding out what it isn't. If you lack this quality of interdependence, you'll want to one-up somebody. Have you ever seen somebody that wanted to one-up someone else? You know, and, and, and that, that, can, that can be a bad thing if you're trying to show somebody up. Um, I've already watched this over the years. I'm just trying to use different examples, but a lot of times I use examples of what I what is 
more relevant to me. But I've already watched pastors preach messages. And then they would turn the service at the end over to someone to come up and close up the service. And the person that came up to close up the service would have to try to one up some of the things that the pastor said while he was preaching. That's a a quality of, of a lack of interdependence of the person that came up to close up the service. I've watched that over the years. Territorialism. If you're very territorial and and you've got your little your little air you know, I learned this long ago, it seems like everybody has their own little empire. It seems like everybody has their own little empire. And uh but but you see if you're if you want to be interdependent you need to not be territorial. You know, you need to let other people come into your territory and, and not be offended when they do. You know, if if uh, uh, if Dale, his assignment, one of his many assignments is to put the water up here for me, and he does. But if he saw Brian putting the water up for me one time, Dale shouldn't throw a fit that, you know, well, that's my job. That's my territory, Brian. You stay away from it. No, Dale should be blessed that, you know, Brian is doing that for me. You see, I'm using that as an example. Was that, do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, another example of, of, of something that would be show a lack of interdependence is clicks. Clicks. You know what a click is? We got our little group. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. He dealt with a click, didn't he? Those other reindeers were, reindeer were not going to let Rudolph join in to their games. They had a little click. Is that right? Did you know God hates clicks? He loves the people, but he hates the attitude of we've got our little group here and nobody else can get in. God does not like that. And you see, people that are cliquish, they lack, they're not champions on God's team. They're not champions because being having a cliquish mentality, we've got our little group and nobody else can intrude. God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't appreciate that. Uh, power plays. If you're trying to grab for power or obtain power and get power over people, and that, that, that's a show of uh, lack of interdependence. A refusal to follow guidelines that everybody else is following because you're special and after all you don't have to follow the rules. Well that that shows that you're not a champion. See see a champion will will want to follow the rules that everybody else is following, you see. Uh I remember an example of that Elvis Presley. Remember him when he went in the service? They thought that he was going to uh get special treatment, but when the other guys saw that he was cleaning the kitchen and doing the chores just like they had to do, uh, they were they that was a blessing to people. So so don't do not uh, have this attitude. Well, I'm above following rules. I'm above following the guidelines that everybody else on the team has to follow. OK, um, talking negatively about teammates. How many of you know that's never good? Much we could say about that. People that talk negatively about others are just telling you that they're not champions. A champion doesn't talk badly about folk. And then here's one that you don't think of that people would do. We've seen this over the years. Uh, sabotage. Real loud say sabotage. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we could use what happened this morning. Now, this was not an example of sabotage, but you could like, let's just say somebody, let's just say that, let's just, well, just make up a scenario here. But we've, huh? 
Gary doesn't like Brian. But here's the, Gary's doing the sound and Brian was doing the announcement. So let's say Gary didn't like Brian. So Brian's, you know, because, because Brian was, you know, had some eyes on maybe doing the, the sound back there and Gary didn't, you know, like that. So Brian steps up there to do the uh, announcements and Gary hits the button and it sounds like a, like a, you know, a stealth bomber is landing. That would be what? An example of sabotage. So if Gary had done that, which he didn't do, but if he had, you, did you? You didn't do that, did you? Okay. Oh. But that would be an example of sabotage. We've seen that over the years. We, we've seen, you know, over the many, many years, not in recent days, but over the years where, where somebody would do something to try to hurt someone else's uh, performance, you know, or they're in their work for the Lord. That's not good, is it? So much we could say we, we need to be interdependent. Uh, an example of uh, two of Jesus' disciples that were not interdependent were James and John. Remember James and John? At one point they went to Jesus and they said, give us, you know, grant us. Uh, see, he's just sabotaging me. He's turning me on. Uh, but they said, grant us whatever, whatever we ask. And Jesus said, well, what do you want? He, they said, we want to sit one on the right hand and one on your left in your, in your kingdom. Remember that? And they wanted some special treatment. And, and, uh, and then when that didn't work, they got their mom to go talk to Jesus. Remember that? And then that, that didn't work. But they, they were not being interdependent. Do you know Jesus had some real, real, real interesting disciples, didn't he? They were 12 of, so dysfunctional when they started out with Jesus. So dysfunctional. If you look at, at the disciples, they were just so dysfunctional. But you know what? In three and a half years worth of time, Jesus was able to take some of the most dysfunctional men and turn them into some of the most functional champions that you'll ever want to find. Now, if the disciples were able to go from dysfunctional to functional in three and a half years, don't you think we ought to be able to to do the same? Yeah, well, we don't have Jesus here. Oh, excuse me, we do have the Word of God, don't we? He's the Word made flesh, and He's in our midst, isn't He? So if they can go from dysfunctional to functional in three and a half years, don't you think that we could go from dysfunctional to functional, functional in the same amount of time? Yeah. So... Chew on that. So we want to be interdependent. Now then, here's another one. Oh, we're going down through champions. Obscurity. 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 If you want to be a champion on God's team, you need to thrive in obscurity. Oh, listen to this one. Because this is something I think all of us have to deal with. Because it's just dealing with the, the flesh. Because the flesh... Wants to be seen. The flesh wants to be noticed. The flesh wants to have attention drawn to it. And obscurity means being anonymous. Obscurity means not needing credit or compliment for a job well done. Obscurity. Being anonymous. Not needing the credit or compliment for a job well done. Being obscure means that you have the ability to work behind the scenes. 
you never need attention drawn to you. You never need the pastor to stand up and say, you know, so-and-so is doing a wonderful job. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, and pastors should do that. And, and I try to do that and, and call attention to people for a job well done. There's nothing wrong with that. The point here is, is that you don't need that. You know what I mean? That you don't need that. You don't need it. That's the point here. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, does anybody remember him? He was a president back during, what was it, World War II. And he said this, give me a staff passionate for anonymity. See, if you got people on your staff or working for you that they all want to be seen and they all want to get the credit, it's very hard to get anything done. Oliver Wendell Holmes as opposed to Oliver Wendell Douglas. <laughs> but I don't know if some of you know who he is. Green Acres, it's a place to be, to, to, to farm, farm living, it's a life for me. Land spreading out so far and wide. Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside. Do, 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 do. I get allergic smelling hay. Do, 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 do. The chores. Fresh air. You are my wife. Green Acres, we are there. Do, 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 bump, bump. Yeah. Well, he didn't say, he didn't say what I'm about to tell you. It was Oliver Wendell Holmes. I think he was, a, wasn't he a Supreme Court justice or something like that? He said this, the best servant does his work unseen. The best servant does his work unseen. Uh, do you work hard only when your boss is watching? We're talking about obscurity. Do you need to take a selfie when you are doing your job well and then post it on social media? Joe Frazier, who was a champion boxer, I'm paraphrasing what he said here concerning his exercise routine. And he said this. He said, if you cheat in the dark, you will be found out under the lights. In other words, if he didn't do all of his reps and all of his road work and everything, his jump roping and all that, then when he got up in the ring to fight, then it would be found out. I've learned this with God that it's not what you do when people that are looking that counts. It's what you do when nobody's around. And, and one of the biggest things I've learned about character and one of the biggest things I've learned about God over these many, many years is that it, it I mean, certainly it is important what you do in front of people. I mean, certainly it is. But, but ultimately what you do at church or what what you do when people are watching is not the real key matter it's what are you doing when you're alone when nobody else is watching that's the kind of person that you really are and that's what's important but having said all that we need to thrive in obscurity we need to thrive in obscurity. The best teammate thrives in obscurity. 
Let me say it another way. The best teammate doesn't need the credit for a job well done. Again, it's, there's nothing wrong with, with the person in authority complimenting you. There's nothing wrong with the boss complimenting you. And, and people, they, they do need that. See, there, there's one side of that coin that there's nothing wrong with it. But what I'm talking about here, if you want to be a true champion, you don't need to have the accolades of men. You don't require that. You don't need that. To be the best you can be for God, you need to be able to thrive in obscurity. You get what I'm saying? Is there anything wrong with the pastor giving a compliment? No. Is there anything wrong with, with somebody telling you, hey, good job? There's nothing wrong with that and that needs to be done. That's good. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is to be the best champion that you can be, you should get yourself to a point where you don't need that. Or you don't need the credit. You don't need to be accoladed. I know for many years... I would go to the door after the service and one of the biggest things that I needed is I needed people to come by there and tell me good message. Good message. It's a good message. Now, is there anything wrong with people doing that? No. But you see, I needed that. I needed when I got with my wife, I needed her to say, well, that was a good message today. Now, there's nothing wrong with with her doing that or you telling me There's nothing wrong with that. But see, when I when I need when I have to have that to feel like I've done a good job for God. Then I'm not being all that I can be for him. I've learned this as a pastor. I need to stand up here and deliver what God's told me to deliver, whether people like it or not. Just say what he told me to say as best I can. And not need to be accoladed. You okay? You getting that? I've watched people over the years already. They, they, they get they're just so they're just so touchy. Well, I did such and such and nobody said anything. I, 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 I've swept the floor in the church and nobody said anything. I've been on time now for the last six weeks and nobody said anything. I did exactly what they told me to do and nobody said anything. I've been faithful for years and nobody said anything. See, thrive in obscurity. And learn this, that the Bible says that promotion comes from not the east or the west, but it comes from the, from the north. And where is the Lord? He's sitting in the far sides of the north. You getting anything out of this? And you see, this is, this is a difficult one because our flesh seemingly needs credit and accolade. But to be the best you can be for God, you need to thrive in obscurity. Obscurity is a must, particularly for anyone who helps around the church. So I ask you the question, are you content with being unseen? Let me just go on a little bit further here. I think we'll be able to finish this if I go on just, just a little bit further. N, nobilities. We're on champions. We've got the N and the S. N is nobility. Well, what is nobility? See, champions aspire to nobility. And much we could say, but one thing that it means is giving the credit for your success to others. Without which you could have never succeeded. Giving the credit for your success to others without which you could have never succeeded. Being grateful to and crediting those who went before you. Have you ever heard 
Like I'll see this a lot of times like the women golfers who who win a championship today in this time in which we live. A lot of times they'll get up when they interview them. They'll say, well, I wouldn't be here today if it hadn't been for Babe Dittrichson Zaharias years ago who paved the way to get women in, into, into golf. You see, they're giving credit. They're being noble. They're giving credit to forerunners, those who went before before uh, before them. You see, being grateful and honoring those who went before us. Um, one of the greatest signs of nobility or the greatest shows of nobility I think that all of us can have is if we simply bring our Bibles to church. Now, when I say Bibles, see, I have my Bible. Now I have my Bible on this tablet, you see. So I'm not saying necessarily a book, but do you have your Bible here? Do you know men bled and died to get this book available to us? Do you know that? And do you know there's Christians in the land that that when they go to church, they don't they don't bring their Bibles in any form, whether it's in a book form or a computer form. And one of the greatest things you can do to be noble and show nobility is is bring your Bible to church because men bled and died and gave their lives to get this book into your hands. Did you know that? How many knows that? So you're showing respect to them and and ultimately to God, because that's his book, isn't it? Um. But here's something else I wanted to drill down on because th- this is what I think you really on nobility really need to hear. We all need to hear this. People of nobility value as significant their God-given assignment and work they are doing for him. People of nobility value as significant. If you're a note taker, this is, this is what you, you need to get out of this point of nobility people of nobility value as significant their God-given assignment and work they are doing for him people who see any assignment in the kingdom of God as insignificant are not people of nobility and and I feel like the spirit of God wants me to drill down on this and, and get this across to all of us Anything that God's assigned you is worth doing and worth doing well. And it's worth thinking highly of. I'll use my wife as an example. She doesn't even know probably what I'm going to say here. But years ago, back in the church where, where her and I met, it is, it is a, it's a small church. And I remember... That she was given an assignment to lead the worship team. And I know she had the worship team there one time. And I was watching. She didn't even know that I was watching. But she was taking it very serious. And, and, and I remember she met with that little group of, of folk. And, and she was so serious and so, you know. And in my mind back then I thought, well, it's just a little worship team. And it's just a little church. See, she was being noble. And I was being ignoble or not noble. When God gives an assignment, there's no assignment that's small in the kingdom of God in God's eyes. Did you hear what I just said? I said, did you hear what I just said? And if you minimize your position or your assignment or someone else's, you're not being noble. 
See, a person of nobility will maximize and magnify, not in a prideful way, but magnify the assignment that God has given them. And they'll magnify the assignment that others are doing for God, no matter what the size. Uh, An example of where I've been very, very poor at being noble is, you know, you get around sometimes pastor friends and they don't really know too much about my my church or this church and I don't know too much about theirs, pastor's conference or something and you'll meet them and you'll talk with them and, and I would say, well, I just pastor a small church in Fenton. Now, is that being noble or, or not noble? Come on, guys, this is not hard. And I go up to him and I put my head down. Well, I just pastor a small church in Fenton. Is that being noble or not noble? See, God's not pleased when I do that. Did you hear what I just said? Come on, guys, did you hear what I just said? What do you do? What's your job? What's your job? What's your job at, where do you work? You do asbestos, don't you? Yeah, that's good. Labor. You do labor. Well, somebody's got to do that, right? So you're not the manager, you're a laborer, right? See, now, I'll use him as an example. You see, now, if he was a manager, well, I'm the manager, but he does labor. So I'm just using him as an example. Why, why would we, when we say, well, I'm just in labor... I'm not saying he dropped his head, but well, I just, I'm just a laborer. See, that's not being noble, right? I'm not saying he did anything wrong. I'm just using him as an example. See, whatever our assignment is, we should maximize it and think highly of it. Can you say amen? amen. You see, I pastor a church in Fenton that God assigned me to pastor. He, he assigned this to my wife and I. This is what we do. We've been assigned to this. We should magnify that. Because God called it. He assigned it. Did you hear what I just said? You know, if I had a church of 10,000 people, well, you know, well, I have a church of 10,000 people. Now, now I've got other issues going on. Is that right? That's more savage and terrifying than this other thing. Is that right? Did you get what I just said? I have a church of 10,000 people. Woohoo! I got a church of 10,000 people. I got 16 mega churches. See, I've got other problems then, don't I? It would start with a P and end with a E. Something that goes before a fall. Oh, did you get what I just said? I said, did you get what I just said? But when you minimize the thing that God has called you to and you make light of it and you you deem it as unimportant. Like if Dale said, well, I'm just a helps minister in a small church. Is he being noble or ignoble if he said that? Ignoble. But he he would never do that. Because I know Dale. He said, I'm a, I'm a minister of helps in the, in the army of the Lord. See, now that's being noble. We need to be noble people. I said we need to be noble people. Paul, let me give you an example of this. Go to Romans 11, verse 13. New King James Version. Romans 11, 13. I want to show you something about the Apostle Paul. Remember, Peter was called primarily to go to the Jews. Remember that? And Paul was called to go to the 
Gentiles. That was their primary assignment. Okay. Now sometimes there was overlap there, but primarily Paul went to the Paul went to the uh, Gentiles and Peter went to the Jews. Now notice here in Romans 11 verse 13. Paul says, for I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And then what does he say? I what? I magnify my ministry. So did Paul magnify his ministry? Yes. Was Paul being noble? Yes. Now, here's what Paul could have done. Now, listen carefully. You need to realize that back in those days, Gentiles were considered dogs. Paul, when God gave him the assignment to go to the Gentiles, he could have said, oh, no. What? What? You want me to go to them there? And then somebody says, Paul, what's your ministry? Uh, You know, God called me to feed the dogs. Huh? Did he ever do that? See, if he was being ennoble, he would say, God, God called me to feed the dogs. I got a bad assignment here in the kingdom of God. He called me to feed the dogs. Did he do that? Did he do that? No. What did he do? He said, I what? I magnify my ministry. Do you see Paul is being very noble there? Can anybody say amen? amen. He looked at it as a high assignment from God. And, yeah, but God used him to write two thirds of the New Testament. I understand that. But in this one point here. He could have said, well, I got a bad assignment. I want to go. He, how come you're letting Peter? How come you're letting Peter go to the Jews? I want to go to the Jews. And he didn't do that. He magnified his assignment. The reason I'm drilling down on this is there's too many people in the, in the, in the church world, in the, in the, in the body of Christ and in the church that they're doing things in their church and they look at what they're doing as insignificant, as little piddly diddly and it's, it's, uh, not an important thing at all. And, and see, we need to be noble and we need to say, this is what God's called me to do and it's important. One of the greatest jobs that anybody has that I've ever seen is the job that Gary Novak has back there. Where's Gary? He's got a, one of the greatest jobs and does one of the greatest things that you'll ever find. You know what he does? He delivers food to sick people in the hospital. Now, it would be real easy for the devil to come in there and say to him, well, you know, Gary, all you do is you're taking food to sick people. Well, I can't think of a greater thing that could be done. Can you? One of the greatest assignments you could have on this planet is to be taking food and sustenance to people who are sick. Did you hear what I just said? And so, you see, Gary should never say when asked, what do you do? Well, I just deliver food to sick people. See, that would be being ennoble. But Gary would be noble and, and a noble person. He would say, hey, I deliver food to sick people. And it's a high and it's a great assignment that God has given me. So we all need to be noble and not minimize what God has done for us or told us to do, but rather say magnify, magnify. Did that help you? Did that point help you at all? Listen to this. I just just bear with me a couple more minutes. We'll just conclude the series today. We need to conclude it because I'm out of shirts. I wore the cardinal shirt, the ram shirt, the blue shirt, the Mizzou shirt. I'm out of shirt. So let's 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 close this up. Come on, guys. Listen to this. I'm almost done within just a few more minutes. Page 156 here. Listen to uh, an example of being noble. Uh, 
I've had the privilege of visiting several, Tony Cook's right here, he says, I've had the privilege of visiting several of the beautiful cathedrals in Europe, and one of my favorites is St. Paul's Cathedral in London. After St. Paul's was destroyed by fire in 1666, Sir Christopher Wren, one of the great architects of all time, was commissioned to rebuild the cathedral. During the rebuilding process, Wren, who was unknown to many of the laborers, was surveying the reconstruction and asked some of the laborers what they were doing. The first responded, And said, I'm just cutting some stone. The second one responded and said, well, I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm earning a certain wage. The third responded when didn't know who Wren was and Wren said, what are you doing? And here's what this guy said. He didn't know who Wren was. Here's what he said. I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren build a beautiful cathedral for the glory of God. Now that. Is a noble person. You're helping that company you work for be successful and succeed. You're helping this church be successful and succeed. Not for me, but for for the kingdom of God. See? You you understand? See, we we need to remember what we're doing. Everything we do, we do it as unto the Lord. So we want to be noble people. Amen? Much more we could say. Let's close up here on strategy. Proverbs, just a few minutes here, we're done. Proverbs 24, 6. Go there. Proverbs 24, 6. Message Bible. Champions. Last letter is S. Strategic. We need to be strategic. Proverbs 24, 6. Message Bible says strategic planning is the key to warfare. To what? To win or to lose? To win. You need a lot of good counsel. So we need to have a strategy. And uh, there's so much we could say on this. But we have a strategy here at Summit Church. And I just say this not to put you on the spot or not to make you feel bad, but but to, to challenge you in a good, loving way. Does anybody know, and, and don't have to answer, this is a rhetorical question. If God has called you to be here at this church, is if this is where you're supposed to be, do you know what the strategy that we have here is? Now, First of all, do we have a strategy? Yes. Did God give us a strategy? I believe so. See, if I didn't have a strategy from the Lord, a vision, then then we wouldn't have a very good church. But we have a strategy. Somebody says, well, how come the church isn't maybe doing better than it is? Or it's doing great. But, you know, how come it isn't further along? Well, if God's called you here, do you even know what the strategy is? Have I communicated it well? Well, I could probably do better, but I have communicated. Do you know what it is? So here it is, if you don't know. And we should have had it on the screen, but, but, uh, but here it is. Number one, touch the surrounding community with the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, we just did something for Kellison School. We took a bunch of uh, school supplies up there to them. And we've done much for the community. Just recent, that's the most recent thing we've done. Touch the surrounding community with the good news of Jesus Christ. We took school supplies up there for kids that uh, don't have, have, have any school supplies. Help Christians, number two, help Christians develop so they influence their world for good and for God. So we've helped develop you, I trust. Express our love toward God through sincere praise and worship. 
And lives dedicated to him. I believe we've done that. Build strong families. Number four. I believe we've done that. We're working on that. And fifthly and finally. Be involved in and support world missions. Which we've done. And so. We have. A strategy. And if you want the strategy. It's. uh, You can get it. It's on the. uh, The stuff we give out to the visitors and so on. So real loud say composure. Composure. Humility. Humility. Authenticity. Authenticity. Motivation. Motivation. Persistence. Persistence. Interdependence. Interdependence. Obscurity. Obscurity. Nobility. And strategy. If you've got those things, then you'll have a dream team of champions for Almighty God. I'm going to close with this. African proverb that Tony Cook listed in his book, and I think it's apropos to close with. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. That's good, isn't it? If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, do what? Go together. Stand with me if you would. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a few moments here. If you would, please. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're here today and you've never become a member of God's team, you need to do that today. You say, how do I become a member of God's team, Pastor Terry? Well, here's what you do. So in your heart, you just say to God, you know, God, I, I repent. I turn away from this life of sin, this old life. I turn from it and, and, and I, turn, I turn to you. And then what you do is you just invite Jesus to come into your heart. And in a moment of time, he'll come into your heart. He'll come into your life. He'll come into you. You get born again. You'll become a child of God. You become a Christian. You'll miss hell one day and make heaven. In the meantime, he'll make your life a whole lot better. So there'll be some men and women standing up here in the front when we dismiss. If you've never invited Jesus into your heart, you need to do that before you leave. So when I dismiss, you walk up here to the front. There'll be some men and women standing up here in the front. You just get with one of them and talk with them and say, hey, I want to become a member of God's team. I want to be born again. I want to get saved. I want to become a Christian. And they'll pray with you. If you need prayer for anything else, because they're not just up here for, to pray for salvation. But they're up here for anything you need prayer for. They're up here to be a blessing to you. Maybe you just need somebody to talk to today. Will you come up? And they're, they're up here to talk to you. Okay? So listen, I love you. I think you're the best. I think that God has given me the greatest team here at Summit Church. And uh, we just think the world and all of you. And I think you're all champions. But all of us, including me, I can be a better captain of this local team. And I guess all of us could be better players. Is that right? So, so let's all work on it together. What do you say? Well, love on a few people and then you're dismissed. God